We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring up married- cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host Julia. And I'm the other co-host, Barry Worst, the film critic. And today we decided to watch 1996 Beautiful Girls. Beautiful Girls, directed by the late Ted Demi. This is one of the last films that he made. His motion picture debut is a, a film he directed called Who's the Man, which I really enjoy. And then he did a film with Dennis Leary, which has quite the cult following. It's called The Ref. This film came. And then my favorite movie that he made um, is with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. It's called Life. I like that one a lot. But his biggest hit was his last film with Johnny Depp and Penelope Cruz called Blow. And he uh, unfortunately passed away not long after that. Oh, that's sad. I, I think Beautiful Girls is the only movie of his I've seen. Probably. Yeah. So this one was my pick. And I picked it because this was a movie I saw in college for the first time. My roommate and best friend, she kept saying, I love Beautiful Girls. Haven't you ever seen it? And I'm like, I don't know what this movie is. (laughs) So I think over the course of our time in college together, I don't even know how many times we watched it. Probably at least five. Yeah, and I was at one of those viewing parties this is back when you and I were just buddies, but I do remember watching it with you and, and, and our dear friend Trinity. Yeah. yeah. So her and I were talking the other day about the podcast, and I said, oh, I think I might want to do one on Beautiful Girls. And she said she was kind of concerned about watching it again, because what if she didn't like it now? And I thought, oh, that's sad, you know, but I can see her point. It's, um, it's a nineties movie. Would you say? Yeah, it's extremely nineties <laughs> movie. I thought it was funny earlier today when you're like, when did that come out? Was that like the eighties? And I said, no, I mean, everybody didn't say the eighties. I said the nineties. <laughs> well, I said like, yeah, it's very nineties. Like everyone's wearing flannel, Rosie O'Donnell's in it. Yes. This is a nineties film. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if Rosie O'Donnell is uh, in a movie that it's definitely older. <laughs> I like Rosie O'Donnell a lot, and I like her in this movie. But yeah, there was a this is a point where she was, you know, she was headlining films, mm. and she also had her talk show. So I mean, this is like, you know, this is like prime O'Donnell. Mm. So funny to think about that now. So yeah, one of the things uh, Trin and I talked about was just the the one of the themes that we'll get into about the movie is. You know, an older man and kind of having a crush on an underage girl, and yeah. I, I said, you know, that that storyline in this particular movie doesn't bother me because I felt like it was handled pretty well. But we'll get into it and talk about your feelings about it. All right, so because you're like that old man now. No, <laughs> wow. Well, I also, we're the old people now. 
Sure, but you know, and it's funny when I did see this film, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. When I first time I saw it, I definitely identified with the Timothy Hutton character. Mm. I absolutely saw myself in the film, and I saw my buddies. I'll just say, like, I saw this film in the theater when it came out. This was the spring of 1996, and I was a senior in high school. So a lot of these characters resonate with me. They still do. They still remind me of buddies that I grew up with. Um, I saw it in probably one of the strangest double features. This was at the Maui Theater. And the first the first one on the bill was Beautiful Girls. And the second one, Black Sheep with Chris Farley and David Spade. Wow. There's a reason you're going like, no, no. Tommy Boy. Yeah, Tommy Boy. Great movie. Black Sheep, not a great movie. So it was so weird to watch this film, which I adored the first time I saw it, followed up with this silly slapsticky farce. But yeah, but I, I loved this film when it came out, and I told everyone I knew about it, and I feel a little embarrassed about it now, because um, like uh, like our friend Trinity's concerns, there's things about this movie that that don't hold up that really well for me, but there's still a lot that there that I do like, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. So, okay, so just to kind of give a brief <clears throat> synopsis, um, Timothy Hutton plays Willie. He lives in the city, Chicago. No, he doesn't live in Chicago. I have no idea. It's very it's it's not really well spelled and out it's at all. Not. So he he's in the big city and he's going back home to his small town to visit um his friends. There's a high school his twentieth high school reunion is coming up and so he's he's going back home. His mom has sent, has passed away. It's just his dad and his brother at home. And so the beginning of the movie is him going home and basically reconnecting with his old buddies. Yeah, so Timothy Hutton is the lead of the film, and man, his his father and his brother are a sad sax, these two guys. The, the brother is played by David Arquette. This is the same year as Scream, so he already has that mat, that twinkle of madness in his eye in this role as, as the really offbeat, to put it mildly, brother. And the father... Who it's 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 a good it's good casting and it's established just over a few lines that this is a father that you know there's there's not a lot of affection there this is you know it's a very emotionally distant family yeah for sure so then there's Tommy played by Matt Dillon and then Michael Rappaport plays Paul and there's their friend Kevin and Mo. I think that's all the guys. I think so yeah, Kevin is Max Perlick, who the same year was one of the bad guys in the Blood Red Van in Homeward Bound Two, Lost in San Francisco. He's one of the drivers of the Blood oh, Red yeah. Van. Yeah. Okay, we've seen that movie a so, lot since we have a young child who so. loves Homeward Bound Two, <laughs> Lost in San Francisco. So yeah, we see a lot of Max Perlick's work. That's funny. And uh, yeah, and Mo of course is played by the wonderful Noah Emmerich, who I know as Truman Burbank's buddy in the Truman Show. He's constantly going over to Truman's house with a six pack. Yeah, that's Noah Emmerich, good character actor. Everybody in this is great. Yeah, they're really, really good. So Willie comes back and he's just reconnecting with everybody. And we kind of find out that there's some complicated relationships going on right away. Um, Paul, played by Michael Rappaport, he, you know, he kind of had this seven year relationship with this woman. And then finally she was, she'd had enough. And now she's dating an older man who's a meat cutter. And Paul is just so 
annoyed by this. And she is played by Martha Plimpton, who is incapable of giving a bad performance. We just watched her a couple weeks ago in Mass. I mean, I think she's it's so dumb. She's best known as being one of the Goonies, but like Martha Plimpton is awesome and she's great in everything. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. So and then we have um Tommy, played by Matt Dillon, and he's in kind of a love triangle with his current girlfriend, Mira Sorvino, and Holly Hunter, Darian. Lauren Holly. Oh. <clears throat> Holly Hunter is not in this movie. <laughs> this is Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber. Oh my gosh. I and by the way, she's a she's an excellent actress. With all due respect to, to Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter is not and she is a beautiful girl, by the way, but Holly Hunter is not in this film. Just to be oh clear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holly Hunter's listening to this right now, like, hey. <laughs> That's not nice. Okay, I totally wrote down the wrong name. That's so funny. I should not give these synopses. I don't remember any of the names. Like we were saying earlier, no, Jules, to, to your your you know your point, like there's too many characters too in this many movie. Characters. There's so many people to memorize. And let let me just get right to it. Actually, this is one of my first big complaints of this movie. So. I've seen this film a lot. You've seen it more than I have because of because of your buddy and you've seen it so many times. So I'm watching it and I'm really trying to connect all the dots. No, Again, Noah Emmerich is playing Mo. His wife is played by the wonderful Ann Bobby. Matt Dillon, you know, is with... Who the heck is Rosie O'Donnell in this? Who is she related to? Why She's is she in this circle? She's just the best friend character. It, the character doesn't make any sense. She doesn't have a connection with anybody. I was so confused. Like, is she is she Ann Bobby's sister? They run a beauty parlor? Do they run the beauty parlor? She just shows up. She, the character has no backstory whatsoever. It's weird because there's some of these characters... It's it's the performances and it's also sometimes the writing allows a really lived in sense of who these people are. I have no idea what Rosie O'Donnell is doing in this film. There's a scene where she goes to a convenience store with Matt Dillon and Timothy Hutton and she has this long monologue. And it's a great monologue. It is. It's really funny. But I'm just going, why are they hanging out with her? What, what does this scene have to do with anything? And it doesn't. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just... It's just the writer kind of spouting off this long diatribe about what makes women beautiful and, and you know, expectations versus the reality of that men have towards women. But again, like, I'm just going, who is Rosie O'Donnell? Did she go to high school with these guys? Is she uh, an ex-lover? Is, is she a sister? No idea whatsoever. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think she's just the best friend character to Mo's wife. And then, obviously, to Sharon, Mira Sorvino. And... She, I think she's just there to like help move the plot along a little bit and to give good advice. Implants, collagen, plastic, cap teeth, the fat sucked out, the hair extended, the nose fixed, the bush shaped. These are not real women, all right? They're beauty freaks. And they make all us normal women with our wrinkles, our puckered boobs, hi, Bob, our cellulite feel somehow inadequate. Well, I don't buy it, all right? She has some she of the gives, splashiest dialogue. Yeah. She really does. Like, if, if you know... I was certainly a fan of Rosie O'Donnell when when she was doing you know the, these character performances or I mean you know it's funny because like you see her in like a League of Her Own or Sleeps in Seattle and she really has something. She, it's not just that she's a scene stealer like she has a real strong presence. She's really funny. She, her her timing is always sharp. But this was around the time where she was in the Flintstones. And we forget like it's silly now, but like the Flintstones was a huge hit, and it was one of the reasons why. I mean she was kind of ubiquitous for a while 
So, I mean, she was a real big name, like a lot of the actors in this movie, to be in this film. But again, it's like it's frustrating because I'm going, okay, like you've got a great monologue. If if she was ever going to be up for Best Supporting Actress for any movie, it would definitely be in this one because she kills these monologues. She really does. But I'm going, who are you? Who are you? Are you a new in town? She, you know, that this is... No, she clearly has some, like, backstory with them. still anything. Give me anything. There's nothing. Okay. Well, she's just a peripheral character, really. So... There's a lot of those things. Yeah, there are. But I think the big... The big themes are obviously that these men are going back to their high school reunion, and all but one of them, yeah, are not married. Right. Moe's the only one who's got a wife and kids, and the rest are just kind of floating along. They don't really know what they're doing. They're stringing other women along. They're, you know, these women have asked them for some type of commitment, and they're just like, not, not doing it. Well, there's Matt Dillon, the strange, bizarrely ageless Matt Dillon. The guy has looked the same since 1983. It is bizarre. I am very jealous of Matt Dillon. Dillon has to choose between Lauren Holly, not Holly Hunter, <laughs> Lauren Holly and Mira Servino. You poor schmuck. You have to choose between those women. And I mean, Servino, and, and I love Servino and just about everything. Servino's character is heartbreaking in this yeah, because she really is, is holding on to this guy who is clearly not able to let go of the love of his high school experience, which is, you know, I got to say, very well played by Lauren Hawley. And Lauren Hawley does not hesitate for a second to make this character unsympathetic. Um, which I think that's something I always admire when an actor just digs into like, no, no, this this character is not likable and, you know, there's no shying away from it. And she goes all in, which I really admire. It's a great performance by Holly. There's a lot of depth to this character. She's not the town floozy. She's not, you know, uh, a tragic alcoholic. She's she's kind of all of that, but she's also there is pathos to this character. She longs for her past as much as Dylan does. That's really the thing they have in common the most. They just they want to be yeah. as cool as they were. When and it's they never were gonna be that good the again. Top of everybody. You know, they were probably prom king and queen or whatever it was in that town, you know, and everybody thought they were so amazing. And now they're still in this town. <laughs> Only they're not you know, they're just regular people and, and that it, kills them. <laughs> yeah. Holly has a, the name of her character is Darian Smalls. And I love that. That's, it is definitely a name. I'm sure the director really thought about. It is one of those names. Like, you know, for me, it was like Jessica Hurwitz. One of those names, like you hear the name, like, Oh, Darian Smalls, you know, whatever happened. So like, there's, yeah, there's like this weight to her because she clearly used to be such a big deal in this town it's like if if laura palmer didn't die in twin peaks she would be this girl and one of my favorite things about this movie certainly watching it tonight it's it's a sad touch but i found it kind of funny was they she has a daughter and this little actress is doing a killer job it's just a bunch of reaction shots she doesn't have a character it's just like mommy can you play with me no quiet (laughs) and like sad look in the little girl Daddy, are you okay? Sad look on the little girl. Just like a bunch of tragic reaction shots on this little girl. I, I, I'm like, man, this girl is killing it. She's got no character, but yeah. Yeah, she's just there so that we definitely know that this Darian is terrible. A terrible parent. Yeah, yeah terrible mom. parent. Yeah. Yeah. So Willie comes home and right away he kind of notices that there's a new neighbor next door played by Natalie Portman. You grew up here? Yeah, yeah. Don't visit much? Nope. 
Mom, Dad? You a cop? No. Yeah, my mother's dead. I knew it. Your dad's kind of a sad guy. Your brother's kind of missing that thing, that thing that having a mom gives you. It's a lonely house you got, you don't mind me saying. What's your name? Marty. As in Martha? As in Marty. Name for a grandfather I never even knew, Martin. So now I'm Marty. Just Marty, a girl named Marty. It is, I think, the bane of my existence. Mm. Hmm. How old are you? Thirteen. Ah. But I'm an old soul. <laughs> so why'd you come back? Uh, well... Uh, my high school reunion. Heavy. Yeah. So what's your name? Uh, Willie. Willie, I like your burns. <laughs> Thanks. It kind of cool. How do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> it's just a call. You don't think you are? Uh, I um no, I I think I I think I am. You are. I think. Yeah? Maybe not. <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> Yeah, I'll see you around. Marty. Yeah, Portman, I mean, this mm -hmm. is, I think, her third film. Her first movie of, of note, of course, is The Professional. And then um, a year later, she played Al Pacino's, is it the daughter or the stepdaughter? She's in Heat, and she's killer in that. And this was this was probably her big breakout role before, you know, before her Queen Amidala years. Mm. But uh, yeah, Portman is uh, sensational in this. I don't like a lot of her dialogue because it's so overly written and we'll get into that. There's a lot of dialogue in this movie where it sounds like dialogue. It does. It doesn't sound like real person conversation at all. This is definitely around like that Kevin Williamson time or like, you know, Dawson's Creek. Yes. You know, where, you know, Pacey and Dawson be sitting around the creek talking about Kierkegaard and Nietzsche. And I'm like, <laughs> no. No, you guys are in high school. You're listening to garbage. Like you don't you don't care about this. Well, that that show Dawson's Creek, I watched it I think for the first 4 years that that it was on cuz I think once they graduated high school, I was like, eh, this is kind of lame." But I'm sure the actors are saying the same thing. <laughs> what are we doing? But the dialogue was what kind of got you because you're thinking who talks like this? Yeah. I, I don't talk like that. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could talk like right, that. Right. And I think we I all feel that, that way. clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in college, yes. High school, no way. I don't think you no were way. talking like that in college. Uh, well, I hung around with the, with some cool intellectual dudes. Hmm. Some. Okay. All right. Because she says stuff like, you know, like he, he comes out, just like looks at her from like his second story window and she goes, oh, Romeo and Juliet, the dyslexic version. It's you know, clever, but yeah. it's also sitcom-y. There's a yeah, lot of that yeah, in yeah, this. Yeah. There's a lot of... That's, the, that's another big problem I have with this movie. And we'll get into it because, man, there's so much plot to get into. But like, there's no plot. It's all banter. 
thankfully the banter is really good. The most, banter is funny. Most of it's really, really funny and most of it's really engaging, but there's no story. It's all banter. Characters enter, characters leave. Sometimes they have some dramatic weight. Sometimes they have backstory and sometimes there's none whatsoever. And some of these great actors, they're in this film and then they just leave the film. Okay, but the story is about relationships and committing and when to walk away. I have to say, the women in this movie are so strong and they okay they may have held on for a little bit too long but during the course of the film they're like okay i've i've hit rock bottom with you and i'm out of here and it forces the guys to really make some decisions yeah i mean just to you know the the title characters if you will you know we got annabeth gish who is ultimately the lawyer slash uh long-suffering sweetheart who timothy hutton is engaged to lauren holly no, is they're not engaged they're not engaged no they're just dating they're he's just like dating? we're just dating it's been 11 months he's not even sure about her but when you finally meet her near the end you're like okay there's she's amazing what's wrong with you yeah, so yeah, there's that character who, by the way, almost has almost nothing to do in this movie, and I like Annabeth Gish, but she's like, it's it's again, it's like reaction shot. She has yeah. no character to play. Uh, we mentioned Lauren Holly, who's who's great as Darian, um, Rosie O'Donnell. What are you doing in this movie? Mira Servino, who's heartbreaking. Uh, Martha Plimpton, terrific. Natalie Portman, terrific. And then Uma Thurman. Mm. Uma Thurman. It's interesting because this is. It definitely feels like a. You know, it's almost like special appearance by Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman literally walks into this film and it's established that she is the cousin of Stinky, a great character actor, Prua Taylor Vance, who, uh, who's got some really wonderful moments. Uh, he owns the pub. And Thurman's character is, uh, you know, it's a great introduction because the bartender tells us, not only, she's cool, she's like beautiful and she has a boyfriend, but she's really cool. And... Immediately, that endears her to us and endears her to the other characters. And she has a really, I think, a very well-written bit with Michael Rappaport at the midpoint where kind of on a whim, she goes on a date with him. And over the course of the date, it's clear that he's only taking her out so he can show off because his girlfriend, played by Martha Plimpton, is within eye view of them. And she's able to, you know, it's it's basically to establish jealousy. And initially, the scene goes extremely well. But then, again, a, a nice character moment that Michael Rappaport, his character is such a slimeball. He completely screws it up and ruins the moment. And, and I thought, that that's good. That, that's good that that happens because that's honest. That 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 means that the, the writer understands his characters. On the other hand, um, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. On the other hand, there is the scene where Timothy Hutton goes to the piano and uh, sings Neil Diamond. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. <laughs> is that. Is this where it started? Because honestly, like, you know, I don't know. And look, I'm just, I, my parents had the vinyl soundtrack to the to, jazz to singer. Sweet Caroline. No, um, no, no. But like, you know, I grew up like hearing, you know, Neil Diamond songs, but I never thought this is like one of the great Neil Diamond songs. I swear, like after this movie, that's when I started hearing it at baseball games. I think this movie got it going. Don't you think? It's funny because it's a cult film too. But yeah, I mean, and this is this is that weird time where you see this stuff all the time in the movies. Like the the following year was my best friend's wedding with with that stupid sing along, (laughs) and then you know the same year, Scream Two, Jerry O'Connell sings "I Think I Love You" a cappella in a cafeteria. 
and then Heath Ledger in um, Ten Things I Hate oh, About You. Yeah. This is like the decade of bad karaoke in movies. Mm. I think the only the only example I would go to bat for, I really love it, is the scene with Jude Law and Matt Damon and the talent of Mr. Ripley. Otherwise, I can't stand these scenes. They stop the movie cold. We're supposed to be like, oh, this is so cutesy, wonderful. But like, I mean, I was just cringe city this whole this whole moment. Good times never felt so oh, oh, no, sm- just, smarmy and corny, <laughs> stupid, and just like corny reaction shots. Like, oh, movie, you don't need this scene. Yeah. You're probably right that they didn't need the scene. No. But she says, you know, play something. And instead of just playing some moody, you know, jazz like he does later on he wants to liven the place up i don't know look when i saw this in the theater i liked the scene i thought it was delightful i think the fact that this song is ubiquitous with drunk middle-aged white guys singing along at the top of their lungs i think that's maybe the problem Mm. now i think now that you've had some you know time from it and you're thinking about how it is played everywhere it's a little more annoying to you maybe back then it was it was a fresh idea Sure. <laughs> but there are so many Neil Diamond songs, I wish they'd be singing not that one. Because I think it's kind of ruined it. Like, that song is so... For me, it's like when you go to the wedding, go to any wedding, and they play like, the Macarena or yeah. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Like, these songs used to be cool. <laughs> you know, these songs... I used to like listening to these, but I mean, like, the Macarena comes on the radio. I'm turning the channel. Cause yeah, I'm like, I remember no, no. dancing to this at a wedding. Oh, my gosh. No, which is yeah. embarrassing to admit in, in any capacity. That's true. Yeah. So the... Uma Thurman character named Andira, she, she just, is she even a real person? Because <laughs> Yeah, she's extremely idealized and the characters make a point of it. And, and that, that is an interesting thing that this movie is exploring, just the idea that these guys, there is the idealized version of women and then there is the reality of it. And they don't know how to deal with reality. They don't yeah. know how to deal with anything that's flesh and blood. Any, they don't know how to deal with anything or anyone that disagrees with them, um, anything or anyone that has an opinion other than their own. These guys, I mean, they're they're stunted adolescents. That's true. But I was, so I noticed she has some very pivotal moments with kind of the three main characters. You know, you mentioned Paul and the date at the bar. And, you know, he he tries to just like bring her to this bar and not tell her what's going on. And she's like, tell me what's going on. Who's that girl over there? And he's like, oh, that's my, um, my accountant. <laughs> <laughs> it oh I, and she's like uh nice try it's like that's my uh my cousin we're not speaking to each other she's like bye paul finally he comes clean and you know they dance and then he gets all sleazy with her and she's like i'm out of here you know so i think i don't know if he learns anything from that moment but then she runs into matt dylan's character yeah and he says you know she's walking alone and and he says, you know, can I give you a ride? And she says, no. And I don't know. They have a really sweet kind of interaction because he's ta- he's like, you know, do you like your boyfriend? And how's that going? And she said, well, he makes me happy. And, you know, it really only takes four words at the end of the night. Good night, sweet girl. She's like, that's all I need is, you know, it's like trying to say that like love doesn't have to be so complicated, you know, trying to like she constantly points back to the little things to the real things in life to the everyday moments you know 
And she has a similar experience with Willie where they're in the ice fishing, you know, cabin thing. This was around the time of Grumpy Old Men. This was like a really big thing in movies. <laughs> ice fishing, yeah. yeah. And he says he's just not sure about Tracy, you know, and um, he's like, I look at you and um, I think, gosh, someone is lucky enough to like do all these things with you and they name all these things. And then she says, but Willie, someone is thinking that way about Tracy. They're jealous of you getting to do all those things. So she's constantly trying to like point out to these doofuses (laughs) that um, they're missing out on real life with real women because they're always thinking about some supermodel that they can never attain. You know how it is, the beginnings, when you first fall in love and you can't eat, you can't sleep, and getting a call from her, it makes your day. It's like, uh, it's like she's seeing a shooting star. It's the best. Yeah, but inevitably it goes away quiets down so this is my thing see why get married now why why not have two three more of those beginning things before i you know settle into the big fade the big fade it's an awful way to put it (sighs) she's coming tomorrow Mm, that's obvious i got no feeling about that I mean, I got a feeling of overwhelming ambivalence, but I would, I would rather dread her arrival than not give a shit either way. I look, I, I look at you and I think it's amazing that there's a guy out there that gets to do all kinds of things with you and gets to make you happy and, and, and spend evenings with you. Make me martinis, listen to Van Morrison. To smell your skin. After a day at the beach. Yeah, and read the papers. On a Sunday morning. Rainy Sunday morning, and and pepper your belly with baby kisses. Sorry. (laughs) Thing is, there's a guy out there that thinks the same thing about Tracy, and he's jealous of you, you getting to do all that with her. Let me ask you something. I mean, can you think of anything better than making love to an attractive stranger in the middle of a frozen lake with just just a, a oil light to guide your way? Can you think <laughs> of anything better? Going back to Chicago. Ice cold martini. Van Morrison. Sunday papers. Got you. I gotta go, Willie. So I. In that way, I do like her character, and I think she brings a lot to the movie. But at the same time, I'm like, why is she here visiting Stinky? This makes no sense. Yeah, what? why are they so tight? Because yeah. they clearly have nothing in common. They're very different people, which is cool. I mean, like, yes, yeah, like me and my cousin Eileen. Like, we're, we're, we're tight, and we don't, we don't have a lot in common. She's a very different person than I am. Maybe maybe that's it's that kind of connection. Yeah, I don't could, know. It could be. And, you know, and, and they play it very well. And, no, I mean, like, like – Uma Thurman is luminous in this film. It's not just that she's beautiful. Like she's she gives a great performance. She yeah. kills her scenes. But that's the thing. That's the problem with this movie, dear listeners. Like to describe the plot of this movie, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's a scene where they're like they're 
they're in a living room and they talk and then they go to the bar and they're at the bar and they talk and they go back to the house and they talk and they go to the bar. The whole movie is like that. And some of this is really lovely. Some of the dialogue is sharp and arresting and thoughtful. And sometimes you could just hear how hard the writer is working. How, you know, Scott Rosenberg, with all due respect, he's, he's a very accomplished and very good screenwriter. I like the script of this movie. But at times you, you really hear like, He's like, I'm going to win the Oscar for this thing. This is going to be like and, – and I'm sure, you know, and that's one of the things about this script too. I mean, it's such actor bait. I mean, there's so – you know, for all the roles in this movie that are very half-baked or not fully realized, these are showy roles that actors love. So, of course, this movie has this amazing ensemble because even if, even though they probably got paid no money to make this movie, they're they're getting the chance to really, you know, have these, these showcase scenes. Mm. That's interesting because even though the plot is just guy goes back home for his high school reunion yeah. and there's a bunch of just shenanigans shenanigans and meetings and a lot of conversations, I never thought that it didn't have a plot. You know, I mean, it, there's a it's it's eventful. It's it's not a boring film, and it's it's. I don't even think it's really a slow film. I think it it the, moves at a really nice pace, and it's funny enough, and it's lively enough. But yeah, it's, my um. The one I would recommend people see even more so than this, and I like this film, but the one that I love is it's, – it's an even more romanticized film about a snowy small town. It's the film with Paul Newman, Nobody's Fool. I love that film. It's a similar idea, but I feel like one of the things that, that, that makes that movie work so well is there's less characters. It's really about a movie – It's really a movie about four people, really. And, you know, with a few side characters and they're all very colorful and beautifully played. And you've got wonderful actors like uh, like Philip uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in that one. And in this case, it, it's it's a similar thing where everyone is well cast. The characters are interesting. But I sense that this is one of these films that was probably much longer. And that there's a lot we're not seeing. And there's a lot of subplots that got chopped up. There's a lot of important scenes of establishing who these characters are that are gone. Um, I do want to dip into a little bit of history here as much as I don't like to talk about Miramax, but I should. This is something I talk to my students about a lot. When I first started teaching film classes, I would always romanticize what Miramax did, what Harvey Weinstein and Miramax, that company, did. I mean, they they took these films that didn't have a chance, movies like My Left Foot and The Crying Game, and they put them in mainstream theaters. So, you know, The Crying Game would be playing, you know, in a theater next to Jurassic Park. And it was amazing because suddenly these movies that seemingly, you know, you'd have to only see them at an art film, art house, or a festival, they found an audience. And Miramax got a reputation for that. They would take these, in some cases, really hard to to market movie, and they would, you know, make it accessible. So they're kind of the heroes of the indie scene for the 1990s. For me, I've always been very fond of them. And obviously, over the last couple of years, we learned that Harvey Weinstein is a monster and a disgusting, despicable human being. It has absolutely tarnished the reputation of the company. And it's a weird thing because there's some movies that are Miramax films and I watch and I don't mind because it's like, well, he had nothing to do with the crying game. He, you know, that's an Irish film. He distributed it. He, you know, he didn't make that film. This is a Miramax film. First and foremost, because one of the things that made Miramax so big was they put out Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction, I know you're not a fan of it. There's a lot of people. I'm not a fan of that. That's okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people who don't like Pulp Fiction. But what Pulp Fiction, one of the things it did was, you know, that script was red hot. It was controversial. It was confrontational. And it had juicy roles. And Quentin Tarantino cast actors who were really 
not at, at the top. Um, and maybe in the top of the game, but not in the top of popularity. John Travolta was doing Look Who's Talking 3 prior to <laughs> Pulp Fiction. And I mean, respectfully, I love John Travolta, but I mean, he was on his way out. Samuel L. Jackson had not established himself. Bruce Willis's career was kind of on a shaky spot. What about Uma Thurman? And Uma Thurman was, you know, she, she, she really hadn't had that great role at that point. And Pulp Fiction changed all that. So this is post-Pulp Fiction where Miramax had a lot of scripts going around that were like, like, who's going to be the next Travolta? Who's going to be the next actor to like, you know, go from being, you know, on the B list to the A plus list. This is around the time they did Copland, which is my favorite Stallone movie. Stallone did this film Copland where he played a character role. Um, and it, everybody thought it would do for him what Travolta, you know, what, what Pulp Fiction did for Travolta and so on and so forth. So Beautiful Girls is that kind of a script. It's that kind of a movie. But before we knew that Harvey Weinstein was a was a serial rapist and a disgusting human being, what we knew about him, he had a nickname in Hollywood as Harvey Scissorhands. He got that reputation because he was known to bully directors. He was known to walk into the, you know, the screening rooms and be like, okay, we're going to cut this. We're going to cut this, cut this. He was known as a guy who was a meddler. And if you were a filmmaker who wasn't well-established, like, like Tarantino or Kevin Smith, he was known to be one of these guys who would just bulldoze his way and have his way with your movie. Um, he had his way with a lot of things, I guess. Yes. Awful, awful human being. And, uh, but you know, obviously it's not a crime to be a jerk, especially not in Hollywood. And for a while, this is the, it should be, (laughs) you know, and and, and I don't mean to be glib about any of this, like all that to say, like at one point, this is what we knew about him to be his, you know, this is like the worst thing we knew about him. Um, but I look at this film and I think this feels like a Harvey Weinstein movie because it, you know, this movie probably needed to be 20 minutes longer Mm. to be as full as it needed to be for it to make as much sense. I would be okay with that, to be honest. I, I wouldn't mind it. I think the movie is that endearing to, mm-hmm. a, to a level. But I mean, to, just to get to jump to it, I mean, this movie has a climax. Um, it really comes down to a fight. And it's forced. It's I, – I don't like the way the movie – like because you know, they have to come up with some way to wrap things up to get to the third act. And it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It, I mean, it's a brawl and it becomes a – comical fights and then timothy hutton's gonna leave town and the movie ends it's you know it it feels like they might have found the ending of this movie in the editing room it's like okay well the fight's supposed to be somewhere in the middle of the 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 second act we'll just make that the ending of the film it just i feel like there's this this movie feels like it's been harvey scissor handed yeah i was you know tonight watching it i thought that it did need a little bit more exposition on some things but the storyline with natalie portman i feel like didn't you feel like that was really wrapped up like nicely? yeah and that's one of the strongest things about the film clearly and and i feel like there's enough of it there that it gets the attention it needs um but i've got some problems okay. with this. let's talk about it because let's talk about that yeah because it, we're beating around the bush it's you're you think it's creepy what's going on I don't give the movie a pass. Okay, so it's so just so we're clear, Timothy Hutton at this point is Timothy Hutton as we all know. At this point, he was in his what his thirties, forties, something like that. And well, they're no, they're not quite. He was born. Well, he was born in the sixties. So at this point, this is ninety. So he'd be in his thirties, right? Okay, yeah. All, in real life, in well, but in the movie. All these characters are just, going back for their like ten year reunion. Okay. So I think they're like twenty eight to. 
28 All right. Well, I'm just trying to just make a contrast of age. So at this point, he was in his 30s and Natalie Portman was in her early teens. Okay. So uh, his character, it's one thing that little Marty played by Natalie Portman. It's one thing that she has a crush on this guy. Of course she would. It's another thing that he has a crush on her back. And it becomes flirtatious. And I don't give this movie a pass because it mentions Nabokov. I don't think, oh, you're so clever. Yes, I've read I've I've read Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita too. And it doesn't – I don't let this movie off the hook, the fact that he knows who Humbert Humbert is. Um, I do think – I think a smarter film would have had him deflect that and help her with the little boy that she has a crush on. I think that might have been a much more mainstream decision. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little too cutesy, and maybe you know, and maybe that's another path that wouldn't. Have I know, worked. but there's the okay. Let's talk about the scene where she's ice skating. Yes. Okay, so that's kind of where she says, "Oh no, you're my, you're going to be my new boyfriend," and he's like, "Me," you know, and you can kind of see him like thinking about. He's like, "We kind of have an age problem," and then. You know, she's like, you can wait for me. Wait five years. I'll be 18, you know. And he, the, what he says to her is, I can't, like, you, you have so much life ahead of you. You're going to change so much from, you know, now until you're 18. I mean, the amount of growth potential here for you is, you know, that's that's a huge amount of life for someone of your age. And... I don't know. I thought he did handle it well in that moment because that was like the right thing to do. I think this movie is checking a lot of boxes to make sure that we're okay with this. It's mm. constantly saying stuff like like we're thinking about Lolita. Let's mention Lolita. I, I feel like the movie is really going out of its way to justify it. And plus, as I said, the dialogue, it runs from being very – very thoughtful and interesting to stuff like I mean the the one that drives me crazy at one point Winnie the Pooh is brought up and Natalie Portman says no literary reference goes unturned my god <laughs> my god Scott Rosenberg is that what you is that what you thought and you're like I'm just gonna write it I'm just gonna give her the line why not why not because this this cutesy kid character again it's like considering the kind of dialogue that she's sharing and again like this is definitely the kind of kevin williamson dawson's creek dialogue we spoke about i mean is she in mensa is she a genius child is is her father a sitcom writer like this should have thrown something out but the fact that oh yeah because we never see her parents never 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 and this little girl is like talking to this guy with sideburns who lives at the house next door like who yeah no the, the character is a gimmick. I think she is as gimmicky and as much as a fantasy, an idealized oh, fantasy, as much as Uma Thurman. Absolutely. Mm. It, you know, for, and I agree with you to, to an extent. I think a lot of the women in this movie, a lot of the female characters are strong. They're empowered. But they're also stuck in this small town. So you get the sense like they have a sense of being in limbo. They have a sense of compromise as much as the men do, which is what makes them interesting. Natalie Portman's character and Uma Thurman's character, they feel you – know, it's its like the trap a lot of men go, fall into when they write women. It's like this isn't a woman who is a real person. This is a woman as I envision a woman to be. Mm-hmm. And the thing with Portman's character goes so perfectly and so swimmingly for Timothy Hutton's character. And there is a moment I like where he basically, basically just – you know establishes what's going to happen he kind of breaks her heart gently but then in the final scene 
it's back to being flirtatious. And you get the yeah, sense when he's yeah. driving away with Annabeth Gish, by the way, that's 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 an excellent consolation prize. He's driving away with Annabeth Gish's character. He's clearly thinking about Marty, which he's is crazy. Cl- he's clearly thinking about, like, well, it may not work uh, with uh, you know with 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 Tracy. old twenty nine year old here, but you know maybe in ten years will come back and you know see what happened because to Natalie he, Portman because he handles it well when he can tell that she's a little bit her feelings are hurt, right? Because yes, yeah. she's too young for him, and right. that's obvious, you know. And and. They never, they're always outside. They've never, you know, it's never like, I didn't think weird, weird. But um, he says, you know, I want to stay in touch in the sense of, I want to hear what you do with your life because you're going to do some amazing things. Like it's, it's a very like encouraging, it is, I think I thought appropriate. Sure. It's appropriate-ish. Appropriate-ish. Yes. It's, it's Movie fine. appropriate. Fine. But yeah, and the final scene when he kisses her on the cheek, you're like, "Come on, man!" Yeah, that it doesn't feel right at all, especially considering his girlfriend is right there, and apparently at this point in time, most of the grown-ups in in Willie's life are aware that he has this weird sort of quasi infatuation with the Lolita next door, as they're referring to her. So yeah, it, it doesn't feel it. it which I think is rude because she's not. <laughs> no, not at all. And by the way, I mean, it, it's it's interesting how this tied into real life because Portman, after this movie, she was offered the role of Lolita and she turned it down. She was, I, I think it was Good Morning America. I, I'll never forget. It was on a morning talk show. And it was, it was one of these things like you hear, I, I remember hearing her say this and I think I almost like spit my cereal out. Um, I think it was like, well, like Joan London. She's like, why didn't you decide to play Lolita? And she's and she and Portman, you know, at this point, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. She's like, I can't imagine myself playing someone who would have intercourse with a fully grown man. Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so she said that. And then. Um, well, good for her. Good, uh, yeah, it's a great answer. And then she was, it's funny. There's a lot of Romeo and Juliet references. She was cast to play Juliet opposite Leonardo DiCaprio. And apparently Boz Lerman replaced her because they did a screen test and it was like, oh my God, like she looks like the younger sister of, of Romeo. She's way too young for DiCaprio. And which is funny because at that point DiCaprio looked so young as well. But, um, you know, and, and obviously it's neither here nor there. Portman uh, has, has had such a spectacular career. Um, and she's, she's amazing in this. She is so good in this. I, I my problem isn't with her performance. My problem is with the screenwriter. I feel like he's jumping through all sorts of fiery hoops to justify this subplot, and I don't like it. Mm. Yeah, the, I mean, the dialogue is a little too clever for itself, and sometimes you're thinking, like, okay, how are these people having these conversations out of nowhere when their only interactions have been outside of their houses, like? in five minutes it, are they that witty <laughs> it's odd too i mean this is you know this screenwriter arguably although he, he's done a lot of stuff that i liked he's arguably most famous for writing con air yeah. and let's face it like witty banter is not his trademark exhibit a con air okay yeah, yeah. well and the other thing if she what if she didn't have that verbal ability i mean there's no way that this storyline would have gone anywhere in the movie, you know, because what, why would he have ever talked to her? It is bizarre that he hones in on her because she introduces herself as 13. I'm kind of an old soul. She's intriguing. She's adorable, but 
I mean, we've seen this character in movies before. Um, I, th- I believe it was Chloe Grace Moretz who played it in 500 Days of Summer. Like just, just the adorable kid character who's providing commentary or, you know, comic relief, whatever it is. And yeah, the the way Portman's character becomes a part of this world is it's it's odd. Because I, I just feel like this film is about idealized idealized ideas of relationships versus the reality of it. And I don't feel like her subplot has any place in this. It doesn't, you know, what does poor little Marty have to do with any of this? I mean, she's what she's going to one day grow up to be either Uma Thurman or Martha Plimpton. Like it's neither here nor there, Mm -hmm. you know, the title may be beautiful girls, but it might as well have been like, you know, like handsome boys. I mean, she, I mean, Portman is an actual girl here and it just, it doesn't, yeah, I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think for me, having been a 13-year-old girl at one point and having, I don't know, crushes on random people, sure. obviously nothing ever happened. And nothing happens here, by the way, just in case we're like, yeah, like yeah, nothing are, are happens. Saying, no, nothing no, no, happens. No, no, nothing. This, this is an unconsummated relationship. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. nothing happens physically. Um, so there is that part where I'm like, oh, I could can relate to her in some ways. But like, you're right. His character. I mean, is he so confused about his relationship with Tracy? Like, is that relationship that confusing that he's like, hmm, a 13 year old? That sounds good. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, because it's because that's, that's the thing, though, Jules. And I think you nailed it. It's like, I mean, to think of my own life when I was in high school, when I was in college, I definitely had relationships, friendships, not relationships, friendships with women who are younger. My dear friend, Lisa, who I'm still great friends with now, and she was younger than me. She was the sister of of my college roommate, Dwight. And I I love Lisa. She's one of my favorite people. And she's always been like a younger sister. um, And we never had a romantic relationship. And there was never anything flirtatious about it. It was just this really great relationship, this great friendship that just just always stayed at at a particular, you know, at a very like mature level. You know, it's different when it's flirtatious and it's different when, you know, it's to state the obvious, it's different when the guy is old enough to drive and she's not old enough to see a PG-13 movie, which is a joke in the film. Right. Yeah. And he, he's way older than way drive older. to drive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so yeah, on the one hand, yeah, yeah. Kudos to you, Scott Rosenberg for, for attempting this, this subplot, but I just, I feel like it doesn't work because I just feel like it's, it's working way too hard to, to make it seem like it's okay. And it's, it's not. Well, and you know, he does talk to Mo about it and Mo is like, dude, no. (laughs) But then they make a joke of it that Mo is seeing the two of them speak at a distance. It's making a joke of, you know, like, Oh, there he goes again, going after the little girl next door. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he's not going after her, but yeah, there is a layer of inappropriateness. Right, and Mo is witness to it. I mean, look, like yeah. this is not a PC film at all, and I think that's one of the things about it that makes it very 90s, but it's also one of the things that kind of works in other s- circumstances where the dialogue is unguarded, the characters are unguarded, and there's something enjoyable about that. And the fact that, you know, for example, Michael Rappaport's character is so deplorable, but there's something comic about that. Having this little girl be in the circle of these alcoholic 
douchebags just doesn't yeah. <laughs> just doesn't doesn't feel right. I think a, a movie about her character could be something really special, but I I, I don't quite like the way. Portman is shoehorned in this movie as much as I got to say, like her performance again is dazzling. She's so good. And that's probably why I liked it so much. You know, when I first saw it is she is so good. Yeah. And you know, there is nothing like physical that happens between them. So you're like, okay, well, whatever, you know, he was there visiting home for what, two weeks. And this is a blip on the radar. But if you, you know, if this was my daughter, I'd be so I would be like, what are you doing? Get away from her. (laughs) Giving her an inner life and giving her some depth would have, I think, gone a long way to making this work even more. Who are her parents? What is she really like? Um, Yeah, because as is, she feels as idealized as the Uma Thurman character. She feels as much of a fantasy as even the Rosie O'Donnell character. What are you doing in this town? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing about this movie I mean, there are things about it I love because the movie wants to be as lived in as someone who's lived in a town their whole life and you know you know all your secrets about everybody some of that is here and some of this is clearly contrived clearly written by a screenwriter mm-hmm. there's things that I like I want to throw out like you mentioned the soundtrack there's some fun soundtrack choices one of my favorite 80s tunes I Got You by the Split Ends is on the soundtrack always nice to hear that in a movie um, there's a scene where Matt Dillon and Michael Rappaport are torn between going to a social function or staying home and watching Rich Man, Poor Man with all the commercials, which I love. Rich Man, Poor Man was, in its day, it was like the Thornbirds or uh, Roots or uh, the Winds of War. It was one of those mini series that you just like, everybody was obsessed with for, you know, for a while. And then, uh, and then the last line that one of the characters has is "Stay cool, stay cool forever." Yeah, I love that because that's that's obviously that's what you would write in a yearbook, in a yearbook yeah. right? And you know, and I like my friend Shay still says stuff like that all the time. Like some some you know, I I definitely have a have a couple friends that one especially who you know like high school is like yesterday, and we talk about high school like it just happened. So there's there is a lot of honesty. There's a lot of truth to this movie. Um, And I told you this, like, you know, Rosenberg dug deep. I mean, it was a very much like an autobiographical film. What was interesting was years after this film came and went from theaters, and it didn't do well in theaters. It it has a cult following. But he did, he wrote a series called October Road. And October Road was, it's basically, basically the sequel to Beautiful Girls. It's about what happened when he went back to this town and the movie had come out and all these characters had seen themselves. So in the show October Road, October Road never references Beautiful Girls. But like, if you know Beautiful Girls, you go, okay, that's the Darien. That's, you, you're able to put everybody together. Mm, so I, I yeah. remember when that show came out. Yeah, and I and watched it. I enjoyed I it. I never watched it. It was it. I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if it even made the entire season. It, it it didn't go the distance. The reviews were kind of kind of up in the air. But I, yeah, I liked it. I watched. And didn't it. you say that everyone in that town just like just hates this guy? I don't now. know. I don't know what what his standing is now. But I know like apparently October Road was very honest about people saw beautiful girls and like hey man like I, I didn't I didn't say that I didn't do that and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so yeah I mean as a writer you're supposed to know what write what you know. Yeah, he and sometimes he, it doesn't he work back, out. Sometimes it backfires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if it's if it's too autobiographical, you know, and and some people obviously are not going to like the depiction. Um, yeah, but yeah, there, there's good stuff, and, and the actors here are really, in some cases, they're digging so deep in roles that just they don't have a lot of clarity to them. I still think like if this movie was longer, or just cut in a way 
that it emphasized character and didn't worry about these little it just it's so episodic you know it is yeah yeah you're right you're making me like it less the more I talk to you, but I still like it. Watching it tonight with you, I realized that I liked it more than I thought I would. I was afraid I was kind of like what Trinity was saying. I was afraid I was going to watch it and be like, oh, this, this doesn't hold up at all. No, there's a lot I like about this movie. I mean, as I much mean there's as- a lot of jokes and words they use that would now be considered not cool to say. Yeah, as I said, it's it's not a PC film yeah, at all. It wasn't but, that way in 96. It's not that way But there's way now. still a lot of funny things, yeah. you know, a lot of funny jokes that... I laughed out loud. Yes. But I'll, I'll laugh at anything. Anyone who knows me, it's like- You don't have to defend your sense of humor. No, I, I mean- It's okay. I'll laugh at anything. I know I really will. Unless it's just completely horrific. I, It doesn't take much, really. It really doesn't. <laughs> so, there you go. There you go. You'll laugh at anything. At anything. <laughs> no, not anything. No, no. I, I know you do like like this film a lot. And, and again, it's because you. this is some- I mean, it's funny. Like, I mean, again, this is a cult film. It did not do well in theaters. It was not in theaters for very long. But I think it was sort of the VHS era really did. I a think lot we for this have movie. this on VHS. I have it. On, yeah, I have yeah. it in my. I have it in a box in my office. We yeah. do. Yeah. Anybody know where we can get a VHS player now? I have a VCR. <laughs> oh, a VCR. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere. We have it somewhere. Yeah, we have a VCR. I mean, it only plays it backwards, but yeah, I got oh. it. I got it. It works. <laughs> So uh, what would you give it on a star rating? And I'll say like when I saw this 25 years ago, four stars and it made my top 10 best of the year list when I first saw it. Mm, yeah. I I think I would give it three stars because I still really like it even though, you know, there are things about it that I'm like, okay, well, but, you know, like we discussed a few little problems here and there. But overall, I enjoy it. Yeah, I, I agree. Three stars. Definitely. Because even watching it tonight, again, like I, I feel like this is a movie that Harvey Weinstein probably got his grubby grubs all over. Because at one point, like I'm going, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mira Servino is in this. Mm-hmm. She vanishes for a long time. Martha Plimpton vanishes. The character that is established that that's her boyfriend, the you know the, the guy who, who... The meat cutter? The meat cutter. Mm-hmm. Like... He has one quick scene. Clearly, it was a, it was a well defined character. It would have been nice to, have, you know, had more of that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't need more of the meat cutter. But I want more meat cutter. I, could... <laughs> I want more meat cutter. <laughs> could have saved this movie. <laughs> but yeah, there could have been more of some other of the main characters for sure. Well, you want more Rosie O'Donnell backstory, so yeah, any backstory, any backstory. <laughs> Just brute. let's just talk about that again. She won a she's she like won a lottery and she like all of a sudden like won this house and that's why she's in this town and she has a thicker accent than everyone else and she's different from everybody else in the town. Anything to explain what she's doing there. I mean, her character like it's not just that she just <laughs> oh my god don't do it again. She just doesn't seem like she belongs in this town. It's it's I mean she's just so different from everybody else in this town. Like you know they they all have a very specific rhythm. She doesn't. She's you know. Rosie O'Donnell has always had her own sort of style, and all right. It's all well, if you could give any alternative ending, um, oh my god, what would you what would you say? Oh no, you haven't thought thought of one. I mean, I wouldn't know where to begin. Yeah, I there's mean, so many characters. I mean, I, you know, I mean, this movie resolves its problem with a fist fight, which is again, I, I find really really lazy. I mean, if this film really had the cojones that it needs. I'd say it's like a fire and the town burns down. 
and Willie is driving away and he looks in his rear view and he's like, oh, look at that. And it's like, you know, all flames. Oh my gosh. And, you know, and, and all the all the couples, they're all kind of like standing around. They're watching the bar. They're watching the neighborhoods. You know, like everything just like burns. everything Everything's burn. just burning down. Yeah, yeah. Because like even though it was snowing, but like it stopped snowing and it's it's ironic. Like it stopped snowing and the whole town burns down. <laughs> And, you know, they're all kind of standing around. They're all trying to figure out, like, what they're going to do next. Or uh, is our relationship going to last? What's going to happen to this town? And they all hold hands. And they all start going, where it begins. I can't begin to know it. <laughs> yeah, they all start singing Neil, Neil Diamond a cappella, And the credits roll and the flames continue to burn. Oh, my God. That would have been my <laughs> preferred ending for Beautiful Girls. Wow. That- no, not really. I, I, I have no idea. Again, like there's too many subplots in this movie. I, I feel like if uh, if Ted Demi, he's not with us anymore, unfortunately. But if 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 someone attached to this film, even Scott Rosenberg, if they could put together a director's cut or a producer's cut, like any kind of alternate version, I'd like to see it. Well, you know, it's funny because the beginning of the movie is Willie meeting up. And saying hi to everybody. And at the end, it's him saying goodbye to everybody. Right. It's, yeah. It's it's like the, it's, the ending of The Wizard of Oz twice. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, so I don't, I don't know. You're right. It's just the fight. And then people are having – all of a sudden, they're having these revelations of, oh, man, I've been a terrible person. I need to fix some things. Well, as, as I was talking to you about, I mean, we didn't talk throughout the entire film, but as the film begins, it's like this montage of Willie basically leaving to go to the town. And at one point he's speaking to the owner, I guess, of the bar that he's performing his piano music in. And there's a bit of dialogue here. We don't hear any of it. They're just playing that ridiculous, beautiful girl song over the soundtrack. And I just, it's like, did they decide like, we don't need the scene or like, let's just keep the scene, but we don't need the audio. Let's just really, really push that soundtrack. Yeah. The song that went nowhere. Went nowhere. Yeah. Even though it's in the movie like five times, but yeah, just looking at it tonight. Like I, yeah, I I enjoy the film. I like the film, but it it does feel like a compromised movie. Hmm. Okay. I can, I can, I can appreciate that. What's your favorite yeah. subplot in this movie? Oh, my favorite subplot. Hmm. I actually, I like all of the scenes with Uma Thurman, to be honest, because she seems the most grounded, <laughs> even though her character is so idealized. Yeah. Um, it's like she's trying to teach these boneheads something about relationships and are they going to get it Uh, who knows but she's really trying so i like that but i also like kevin because he he has really the (laughs) the one with the hat kev oh yeah yeah, stay cool stay cool yeah he he doesn't really have any other purpose except like just to have hang out, hang just out, be part of the guys, yeah, comedy, you know, one liners. So yeah. I like I like him. I- honestly, it's hard to pick a storyline because the- all the characters are so you know interwoven. They are, but yeah, but there are certain subplots. Like I love any scene with Michael Rappaport. He mm. is this is primo Rappaport. He is so funny in this movie, and his character is He's such so an imbecile, ridiculous. such an imbecile. But he has a philosophy about everything, and some of it's in some of those dial, some of those monologues that he has are obviously a little forced. 
but the fact that Rappaport, you know, gives it his, you know, dopey rapid fire rendering makes that character work. I enjoy that character. Mm-hmm. I love what a bonehead he is. I love how he blows it with Martha Plimpton over and over again. The subplot about how he's oh, putting the, the snow in front of her house. Yeah. I, and I love that yeah. he buys a ring with a brown champagne coloring. Champagne. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah great. and yeah. then they make fun of him and they're like, dude. <laughs> Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's great stuff in this yeah. movie. There really is. I I do I I like the film. I do. Um but yeah, looking at it with a little more critical eye than usual. Um Yeah, I don't I, I hadn't been watching it really thinking It's been a while for me thinking too. about it. But yeah. this, there's so many lines that my friend and I like say to each other from this movie still, that are still each, that we just other. think are hilarious. I will spare our audience Please. that. And we won't <laughs> quote this movie, but um yeah, it's really fun. And and I do like, even though it completely doesn't make sense, the Rosie O'Donnell monologue in the grocery store. I just think it's it's really funny. It's a good monologue. It just, it's it's been forced into this movie. Yeah, I know. It, I know it doesn't make sense. But it, and it doesn't still... make sense that they're following her around. Like, again, like, like who know, are they to her? We know your feelings about her. But, like, I just, <laughs> you know, she's just talking about how you know, she pulls out like a penthouse, a penthouse magazine yeah. and she's like, these are not real women. Like they are not real women. You guys are going to, you have this idealized version of women and you're going to like not give a real woman in your life a chance because you're thinking about this over here, you know, which yeah. I think is um, still a very relevant issue today. Of course. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> It, it's the dialogue is good and her delivery is sharp. The scene just, I, I mean, they could have, you could have put that scene anywhere in the film and it would have had the same, same effect. Okay. Well, th- they put it in there and it's a good monologue. I don't know. It could have been an outtake. They could have played <laughs> it over the end credits. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So we both like beautiful girls. It's a sleeper. It was a sleeper, a sleeper 25 years ago. It's yeah. still a sleeper. Yeah. yeah. So, we recommend it if you've never seen it. We think it's fun. And then um, write to us and tell us what you think about what we think about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, tell me how I'm wrong about the Natalie Portman subplot and wrong about Rosie O'Donnell's participation in this movie. Yeah, ooh, I'd love to get some letters about how Barry is wrong about any of the movies oh, that, that we've talked you about. Live for that. <laughs> that would be really fun. We'll read them on the air. Yeah, we'll read them on the air. <laughs> yes, please, uh, no profanity, but I can, oh, I'm more than happy to take constructive criticism. Yes, me too, by the way, even though I'm not professionally doing this, so who cares? cares? I can't believe they said this about me. <laughs> you would not put up with that. No, I, I would be fine with some with some mail. Really? Yeah. What if oh, I wrote it? You want to write one anonymously? And then send it. Or I'd just openly. Just like, openly. Dear Julia, here's what I thought about your performance on the Beautiful Girls episode. <laughs> I can't believe you thought it was Holly Hunter instead of Lauren Holly. <laughs> I Amateur. Let, I have to let Holly Hunter know about that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that does it for our conversation about Beautiful Girls. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.